You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. The future is a million little choices. Practice or play video games. Two hours in the gym or two hours at the movies. A little extra work or a little extra play. Reconcile or let the sun go down on your anger. Get up or push the snooze button again. Take a potential client to the game or take a kid from a broken home. Spend that bonus on yourself or give it to a ministry that reaches out to pregnant teens. If we could get a picture of the future, if we could jump ahead 10, 15, 20 years, and see the accumulation of our decisions, the chain of events we set in motion, how differently would we live today? How would we choose to spend our time? What would we walk away from? How would we treat the people around us? What would we choose to pursue with passion? Where would we choose to invest our skills and our resources? Your future is a million little choices. And it starts today. our future is a million choices that lead to what we accomplish, what we do. And I think that one thing that makes our future most spectacular is when we choose to follow the Lord, when we choose to live for Jesus, when we choose to, like the greatest commandment says, to love God and to love others. Moment by moment, decision, a decision to love. When we put Jesus first in our life, when we decide to make sacrifices, when we decide that our life is something that God has given us, and we have an opportunity to give it back to Him, give it back to Him through worship. So we've talked a lot about living well lives, and as a church, this is not, as you can feel, the most comfortable church. We don't have padded seats. We don't even have our own building. It's a difficult place to be. It's more of a mission. It's more of a life-saving station on the coast than it is a cruise ship, for sure. But are we done? Have we, have we finished what we've set out to do? Are, have we done enough? We've had People come, people go, people move in, people move out. There's still, as far as I can tell, 12,000 people around in the 10-mile radius of us that need to know Jesus. So ask yourselves, are you truly worshiping the Lord with your life? Are the choices that you make moment by moment an act of worship? Can you stop in the middle of what you're doing and say, I'm choosing to do this because I value God and I'm choosing to worship Him through my actions 
through the way that I'm spending my time, through the investments that I'm trying to make in people's lives, through learning more about the Lord and then sharing that with others. But am I worshiping? And can you think of anybody else that you know of in your neighborhood or your work or your school that needs to become a worshiper of the one true God? Because Jesus told the Samaritan woman that the Father was seeking worshipers, worshipers that would worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we need to be worshipers and we need to be trying to help people become worshipers because that's what God desires and that's where the most excitement is out of life. When we do that, that's called evangelism, which would be the E. The ultimate form of encouragement is evangelism. But encouraging people to grow in their faith, encouraging people when they're down, encouraging people when life seems hopeless, when they don't know how they're going to get through the next week or through the next month, or they, they struggle with, like, what will my life be like since I've lost this person? Or what will my life be like if I lose this job? Or what will my, what will my life be like if uh, I'm forced into retirement? Or all those different things. Those different, what will my life be like if my parents end up in a nursing home or my parents die or something happens to the kids or, you know, so many things. To have somebody come alongside and say, let me pray with you. Let's trust the Lord together for that. To be constantly learning, to learn about the Lord, to learn how to share our faith, to learn how to disciple people, uh, to learn how to love and then to be loving. And that's what I want to focus on today. Um, First, I had the message titled, uh, six affairs that will destroy your Christian life, but that just seemed like too much. Didn't know if you'd even come for that. So I thought about changing it to something else, but I've got misplaced affections, the danger of falling in love with the wrong things. There's at least six things that the Bible points out that get in the way of our relationship with God, that get in the way of our worship, that get in the way of the love that God wants us to have for Him and for others. If we're to love God and to love others, these things get in the way. In a book, uh, This Incredible Journey, uh, from 1991 by Norman Vincent Peale, he writes, President Dwight Eisenhower described his mother as a smart and saintly lady. He quotes, Often in this job, I've wished I could consult her, but she is in heaven. However, many times I have felt I knew what she would say. One night in their farm home, Mrs. Eisenhower was playing a card game with her boys. Now don't get me wrong, said the former president. It was not with those cards that had kings, queens, jacks, and spades on them. Mother was too straight-laced for that, President Eisenhower said. The game they were playing was called flinch. He continues, Anyway, Mother was the dealer, and she dealt me a very bad hand. I began to complain, and Mother said, Boys, put down your cards. I want to say something, particularly to Dwight. You are in a game in your home with your mother and brothers who love you, but out in the world you will be dealt bad hands without love. Here is some advice for you, boys. Take those bad hands without complaining and play them out. Ask God to help you, and you will win the important game called life. The president added, I've tried to follow that wise advice always. And that is so true. And a lot of times when we're tempted to fall into sin, when we're tempted to fall in love with something else, a form of idolatry, when we're tempted to do those types of things, we can ask the Lord to help us. We can ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. And we hopefully can have somebody come alongside of us and help us to say, you know, what you're doing isn't the best use of your time or the best use of your life or what God would truly want, you might want to, re- want to reconsider. So number one, loving the world. Okay, didn't the Bible say that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life? Yes, so Jesus came and He died for the people of the world. 
But the Bible also says that the world system is controlled by Satan. And it's, a, it's the pursuit of all the things in the world, the things that are against God, the things that place God on the side as people pursue wealth and power. And it's often corrupt and often evil. And to love the world in that way doesn't honor the Lord at all. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love, love for the Father is not in them. So people often pursue loving the world and loving the world system. And it's just what we do by default. We pursue these things. As you read more in the passage, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so we can pursue uh, sexuality. We can pursue lust in that way, but we can also pursue things. Often people will try to uh, have the most beautiful house on the block. Often people will try to have the nicest things. And one thing they really like about that is when people comment on how nice they are and how wonderful everything in their life is. And they, they desire these things and they, they do everything they can to get these things. Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Uh, often if we tell stories about the possessions that we have or the possessions that we had and... Um, we talk about that more than we talk about how much we love God. Uh, bragging or stretching the truth shows that maybe we've gone too far in loving the things of the world. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes, For Demas, so this is an associate of Paul's, somebody that was supposed to be serving, making a difference in the world, like Titus was making a difference in the world. Paul's giving this report he says, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, which means that there was something in the world he wanted more than serving the Lord. Can you imagine for all eternity, the holy written word of God marks out Demas as the deserter. What a terrible tragedy, a life choice that somebody made. The life choice, maybe it wasn't even you know, planned out. Maybe he was a hard worker, a good worker, and then something in the world that he loved more. Maybe that perfect job opportunity came along and he's like, you know what? I think I'd rather do this than be in Paul's mini army trying to convert the world to Jesus. So there's much the Bible has to say about the love of the world, but it's something that we need to be aware of. We need to be focused on the Lord in heaven. The Bible says that we're actually citizens of heaven, that this world isn't our home. That doesn't mean that we disconnect totally from the world. Otherwise, how would we reach anybody for Christ? But it does mean that the worldly system isn't our priority. The worldly system and following after the political, the educational, uh, the philosophical things of the world that are against the things of God, we don't follow after that. We put God's Word first. And people might think that we're crazy, naive. Uh, the Bible says we're strangers and aliens in this present world. So we pursue our love for God and we don't get caught up in the love of the world and the world system. Now, I think that we should still vote because if we don't vote, then the world system will even try to take away what religious rights we have and the things that we have. So I think it's wise. And if we had opportunities to be in politics and be godly, that would be good. If we could guide and direct a corporation or an educational system or whatever and do it according to biblical principles and love God more than that, but be involved in the world, that's different than loving the world system. Number two, loving money. A lot of people like to misquote this and say that money is bad. If you have money, then you must be bad. <laughs> That's not true at all. Matter of fact, if you have money, 
then you are able to do more things to help people find Christ, to support the church, to support missionaries, to help people in need, to feed the hungry. You can do so much if you have money. Money is a privilege. Money often is something that God can use in your life as a test. Sometimes God knows that if He gives you a lot of money, that you're going to be faithful with it. If you won the lottery, that's another thing in churches too. Sometimes people are, churches are like, well, we would never take any money that came from the lottery. We will. So, <laughs> and you win a ton and you want to bring it here, it's okay. The thing is, is that God sometimes keeps you, maybe me, in a paycheck-to-paycheck existence because that's when we're closest to the Lord. Sometimes when we have enough money in our bank account or we have enough money stored away, we're like, we don't need you, God, because we can take care of this on our own, but if we need anything, we'll let you know. And we go off and do our own independent thing apart from God, and often life is better keeping us close to Christ when we're in a paycheck-to-paycheck existence. But 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So when you, you might not even have a lot of money, but you might love money. You might love the thought of making more money and you just tell yourself, oh, if I just had more money, my life would be okay. And you know, if you're, a great, if you're in debt and you have a bunch of bill collectors calling you, yes, you should pray that God provides that money and helps you through that. But it's the pursuit of money. It's the love of money. When you make that your God, when you put that above your relationship with the Lord, I mean, in James it says we have not because we ask not. And Jesus said we should ask for things in His name. So we should pray that God would provide what we need. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It will make us cheat. It will make us lie. It will make us steal. Now, you may not like steal a bunch of money. You might not be guilty of uh, defrauding a bank. Well, here, listen to this story that just came out recently. When a bank teller accidentally deposited $120,000 in the wrong account, the account's owner went on a shopping spree. State police said a Montoursville, Pennsylvania couple purchased an SUV, a race car, two four-wheelers, and a camper, as well as paying bills and giving $15,000 to friends. I first read that and I'm like, man, they're really good shoppers. They bought all that for $120,000? Anyway, back to the story. Do they get to keep the money? Robert and Tiffany Williams Bank contacted them after realizing the error and told them they had to return the money. But the Williams did not have the money anymore, and the bank took them to court. Now they face felony theft charges. As they arrived at court on Monday, Robert Williams told the TV reporter, all I'm going to say is we took some bad legal advice from some people, and it probably wasn't the best thing in the end. What was the legal advice? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Is that like if the package shows up at your door and you didn't ask for it, it's yours? I don't know. So, I think actually if the wrong package shows up at your door and you can figure out where it goes, you should try to bring it to them. And then hopefully if that happens in the future, they will do the same thing with you. But loving money and pursuing money and doing all that you can to make money is a false god. And it can lead to a lot of disappointment because, I mean... If you just have more and more money, does that, still, does that mean that you're going to be closer to God? Does it mean you're going to have better relationships? Does it mean that you're going to be more at peace with yourself? I do need more money for retirement. My retirement plan is still called the rapture. I hope Jesus returns and I don't have to worry about it. Or I, at the perfect time, die and don't have to worry about um, 
like my grandma going through the nursing home at 98 years old. I don't want to go through that. I want to be all in or all out. But God does do some great things in people's lives as they're in nursing homes and things. But to pursue money uh, isn't my goal. But we should all like take the Dave Ramsey budgeting course. We should learn how to handle our money. We should learn what we should spend on, what we should keep, what we should give. And we should learn how to balance money so that money is a tool in our life and doesn't make us a fool as we get more and more in debt, as we spend on things we don't need, as we destroy our lives chasing more and more money. But loving money is a false god, and we should not pursue that. That can totally get in your way uh, of, of your relationship with the Lord. So in Luke twelve thirteen, so Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool here, also known as the parable of the rich farmer. It says, um, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Then it has that great passage that talks about not worrying and about how Jesus can provide all that we need. So, um, so you can read more of that. But was it bad that he built the bigger barn? Probably. If there were hungry people around, if he didn't need that, what if God blesses you greatly and you take what you need and then you give the rest away? What if instead of focusing on you know how much can I keep, you get your check and you're like, how much do I need to keep? And then what could I do with the rest? How could I invest back into the kingdom of God? How could I help fund the church so that maybe someday they can have a building or more staff? What could I do to help people in need or orphans or those people around? What could I do to look at what God has given me and say, how much do I need to keep and how much has he given me to give away? I've heard from some people that have a lot of money that were faithful to give it away. Uh, this one person in particular he gave a ton of money away. He told me that he felt that money came through this pipeline and if he was faithful to use it as God wanted him to, the money would just keep flowing. And yes, he had a really nice big house, but he also used it to entertain people. And uh, he had resources and stuff, but his, in his head, uh, his uh, philosophy was, if I'm faithful to keep using it the way that God wants me to, it will keep coming. So loving money is not good. Loving yourself too much. Now, we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? So we should love ourselves. We should take care of ourselves. Uh, most of you don't want to hurt yourselves. I mean, to be clean and to look nice and things like that, that's good. That represents your. If you're, an, if you're an ambassador for Christ, you should do what you can to look good with what God has blessed you with. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to spend you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars on designer clothes or anything like that. But uh, loving yourself too much. 2 Timothy 3.1, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. So 
They don't care about anybody else but themselves. They love themselves so much that they're willing to step on whoever. They're willing to take advantage of whoever. They're willing to do whatever they want to do as long as it benefits them. They don't care about other people. They don't love the way that God wants them to love. They don't love others. They don't love people the way that Jesus told us that we're supposed to love God and love people. So loving yourself too much. There is a balance and I have not found it. Uh, maybe I have. Maybe I, maybe I have found the balance. Maybe I'm not off to one side or another. When it comes to fitness, for example, so if you want to look like those fitness models that supposedly use that machine that you can buy for three easy payments of $120, I'm pretty sure that they did not go from chubby dude to washboard abs and everything on that fitness machine. Pretty sure they look like that before they got paid to be the fitness model with 5% body fat. And that is like really hard to do. It's like that could consume every day while you try to look like that. And that would almost be like self-worship. And I could see how that would get in the way of your relationship with God if you worshiped and loved yourself more than the things of God. On the other hand, you should take care of yourself. You should be healthy. You should do all that you can to eat right and exercise and take care of the body that God has given you. But if you love yourself too much, that could get in the way of your relationship with God and with the people. And because you love yourself so much, you're going to be abusive. You're going to be disobedient to parents. You're going to, and really, um, this doesn't necessarily mean that you obey your, as an adult, you obey everything your parents say, but you're supposed to honor your parents. You're supposed to honor your father and mother as an adult. Um, boastful, proud. You should do all that you can to make sure that you love God and you're not putting yourself first because sometimes God wants you to make a sacrifice. It's weird in Revelation 12, it talks about martyrs. Uh, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, Satan, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. A lot of us, we don't want to suffer persecution. That would be really uncomfortable and hard. But I think that if persecution comes and you truly love the Lord, the Holy Spirit will give you the strength and the courage that you will need to endure. And um, if you look through the Bible about people being persecuted or read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, you will see people that were encouraged, that uh, were given power, were given strength, were given uh, the ability to endure persecution. And Jesus takes note of that. But the thing here is they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They loved Jesus more than anything else. Loving pleasure. Loving pleasure. 2 Timothy 3, 3. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Same type of thing. Now, I'm not saying that you can't go get yourself a nice pillow or a comfy blanket on a cold day or something um, but loving pleasure can get in the way of your relationship with God. For instance, suppose the youth group needs to go somewhere and you finally got yourself that SUV with that perfect leather interior. It's clean and everything. It holds eight passengers and the youth group says, we don't have anything to get us where we need to go. We want to go to an evangelism conference so the kids can learn how to share their faith. Could you help us? You're like, no way. No one's getting my leather interior dirty. I know what those kids might do. No, no, that's mine, mine, mine. Why did you buy a vehicle that holds eight people? I don't really know, but I really like the leather. So, loving pleasure. 
And I don't know what the pleasure thing is that gets in your way of the Lord, but there are certain things that Christians won't do because it's uncomfortable. Um, some people won't come to a church like this because we have steel chairs instead of comfy padded seats. Um, loving pleasure will get in the way of your relationship with the Lord. And it's like a trap. Sometimes you get so trapped in pursuing these pleasures, pursuing these things that you don't have time for God, that you don't, uh, you don't have a desire to follow after the Lord anymore. So we should do all that we can to make sure that we follow after the Lord. The Life Application Bible Commentary says, Why is it so tempting to be a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God? Pleasure is something we can control. God cannot be controlled. Most pleasures can be obtained easily. Love for God requires effort and sometimes sacrifice. Pleasure benefits us now. The benefits of loving God are often in the future. Pleasure has a narcotic effect. It takes our minds off ourselves and our problems. Love for God reminds us of our needs and our abilities, or our needs and our responsibilities. Pleasure cooperates with pride. It makes us feel good when we look good in the eyes of others. To love God, we must lay aside our pride and our accomplishments. Number five, loving darkness, loving evil. I can't believe the TV programs that are on now. They don't even try to hide their evil. They just call the TV show Evil. Tune in at seven and you can watch Evil. It's like, um, that's really terrible. And I think we're getting so conditioned to it now that uh, a friend of mine that I will not name, maybe me, sometimes sits back there and watches a TV show and says, I really hope they killed that guy because I don't like his character. It's like, what's wrong with me? And I know you've never done anything like that before, but there are things in our society that our parents or grandparents would have like said, this is terrible. They'd probably run down to the TV station and protest or whatever. And we watch things that are evil. We read things that are evil. We pursue things that are evil. We feel comfortable when there's darkness and things that are against things of the Lord. So the light is the Lord. The light is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit shines light into our lives. And for those that are living in sin, in darkness, they don't want that light exposed. They don't want that to be revealed. They don't want it to be seen. John 3.19, this is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And if you just think about what are you listening to for music? What are you watching? What are you reading? What captivates your attention? Do you follow certain actors or actresses or those pretty people that do these things and give them, say, oh, well, you know, that's not what the Bible would want or what God would want, but that's what they do and I'm still their fan kind of thing. This is crazy. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.8. That is a much better way than to be pursuing the things of darkness, pursuing evil things. Um, that gets in the way of your relationship with God. And finally, <clears throat> number six, loving the praise of others. Uh, Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So some people want to be seen. Social networking lets you do this really easy. It's like, ooh, famous person, let's do a selfie. Ooh, famous person over there, I'm going to take that picture, I'm going to impose my picture here, and we'll look like we're together. Actually, I did that a long time ago. Uh, I had a picture of Mac Powell from Third Day, and I was holding Caleb, and I put us next to each other, and looks pretty real. I'll make it black and white so it looks really real. When did you meet Mac Powell? Never. 
Sometimes I know when I have an opportunity to share God's Word that somebody in the audience doesn't agree with me 100%, and I don't want them to be upset, so I tone it down a little bit, or I you know, try to sidestep it. Or sometimes you know, I know that if I try to share my faith with this person, they might get upset. And so then I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to get them upset. But what if, what if they're all of a sudden going to die suddenly? What if they're going to get in a car accident or get some kind of sickness? And they were, they were here and they had an opportunity to share Christ and then they just died because I was too concerned about what other people would think of me. I remember when I was in high school, I might be done with this. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked at Hardy's and I wanted to share my faith. I had this Jekyll and Hyde thing going on where some days I was on, in high school, I was on fire for the Lord, and other days I was not. I mean, I'm sure everybody thought I was weird. On career day, I showed up in a three-piece suit in a King James Bible and said I wanted to be a preacher. And I did, too. That was real. But when I was working at Hardy's, there was this old guy, and he was hard of hearing, and he would always come in and order a QK of this Volkswagen Rabbit, a yellow one. He'd drive in, he'd order a coffee and a cookie. So I was talking with him, and I was trying to, I, was, I got burdened for his soul that he would know Jesus, and I was out there. And so I didn't want anybody to see me or hear me because I was afraid of what they would think of me or say about me. So I was trying to share my faith with Frank, but he couldn't hear very well, and he kept going, huh? What? And as I looked around the restaurant, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be really embarrassing. People are probably going to think I'm a religious fanatic. And I tried to share my faith with Frank, but I was really concerned about what other people thought of me. And I think that's wrong. I think that we should be concerned about what God thinks of us. I think that we should be willing to be embarrassed for the sake of Christ. I think we should be those weird people that are trying to live for Jesus, no matter what other people think. Because God has our eternity in His hands, and He can provide for us, and He can help us. But anyway, eventually Frank stopped coming, and he never came back again. And I only can assume that he died, or he didn't like the coffee and cookies. But But I was burdened about that for a while. And I think that if you are concerned about what people think of you, uh, maybe your parents are upset that you come to a church like this or something like that, that happens, um, that you should put God first and love Him more than anything. And with that, I'm out of time, but let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You so much that You've given us Your Word to guide us and direct us. And I pray that You would help us to love You more than anything. I pray that we would be so focused on You that we wouldn't care what other people think that we would be so focused on completing your mission to uh, lead lost people, to get saved, and to make disciples, and to share the gospel throughout the whole earth, that we'd be so focused on that that we would never be bothered by steel chairs or meeting in a school or not having those comforts or pleasures that other people might be able to experience on Sundays, but that we would be living lives as an act of worship, that we would do what we do and live the way that we live because we know that you're watching and you can reward us. That we would be evangelizing encouragers, that we would keep learning and teaching other people, and that we would love, that we would love others, even the unlovely. We just thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.